0: This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff.
1: Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here.
0: What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf.
1: And I'm Madeline.
0: Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how artists, educators, and cultural practitioners can change the world one community at a time. We believe that young people are our world's greatest asset and recognize that we, as the adults who are dedicated to their creative development, have work to do so they can thrive. Listeners are invited each week to learn and laugh while envisioning new creative futures through the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. Jeff here. I'm super excited to be activating a crossover podcast today through a conversation with two colleagues of mine. One of which you got to know in a previous episode here on the Why Change podcast, and another who has just joined the collective at Creative Generation as our Director of Learning. So, let's start with some brief introductions. James Miles, we got to know you, the Fresh Professor, a few episodes ago, and we'll drop the link to those show notes in the show, We'll drop the link to that episode in the show notes for this episode. Also, we have Halea Debaros. Halea, this is your first time on the podcast, and we're so excited to have you in this community. So well, to both of you, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you believe the arts and culture and education are changing the world. Halea, let's start with you.
1: Oh, it's such an easy first question, Jeff. Thank you. you. <laughs> Oh, why do the arts matter? Oh my gosh, I don't know. The arts have been like part of my uh, my soul and my breath and my living being for my whole life. And they are what um, I always come back to and what I see um, people use to create joy, to create change, to instigate dialogue, to grow themselves in better ways. And I've experienced that myself and I've seen students experience that. and I've seen teachers and community experience, that um communally together seeing things through zoom listening to music and on instagram and um you know it is my it is my my raison d'etre i guess yeah is that right james that sound
2: that sounds right that's definitely (laughs) your raison (laughs) d'etre
1: such a fancy word for a friday afternoon
0: (laughs) i love that well james what about you me, what, why the
2: arts matter? I mean, the arts activate all parts of the brain, heart, uh, soul, and body. Without the arts, I don't know if we'd be able to exist. You know, the wheel, if you think about like the first quote unquote invention, fire mm-hmm. in the wheel was people experimenting with something they needed to accomplish. And they added their creativity, uh, part of their brain and said, oh, if we rub these two sticks together, you'll get fire. And then if we put this, make this rock into something that's round, we can carry our large beef to the fire to cook and then eat. <laughs> so I think without the arts, we wouldn't have life itself. It's been the fun it of-
1: Against this, the cave wall. I like that yeah. analogy.
2: <laughs> yes, thank you. I mean, krs once said, you know, uh, or no, that's Grandmaster Kaz. Hip-hop didn't invent uh, anything. It reimagined everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we think about art as a way to synthesize what's happening in society, it helps provide multiple perspectives to our everyday experience.
0: My thoughts. I love that because I said it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, I love everything that both of you just said, and it really speaks to the whole reason that, you know, we at Creative Generation started a podcast at all about the changes that are necessary to the world in which we exist in order to cultivate creativity in young people, because we believe that youth create change and that change is a necessary and important part of our own progress within this field, within this work, and within the world. And you know, one thing we learned in the first season of Why Change is that there are change makers who are doing this incredible work all over the world. And some of that work harkens back to our underpinning research, James, uh, putting language around the things that you were just talking about, about applied creativity and creativity for social justice and these creative capabilities that are cultivated through the studies of arts and culture and creativity. And Halea, to your point, it's also about understanding where these intersection points are with our life, be it on social media, be it in classrooms, be it in the home or community or other third spaces within our lives. And, you know, in our conversations, one of the things that we learned is that there are incredible young people and change makers doing this type of work, but that there's also an appetite to learn more about it. And so you all joined the conversation and are Going to be presenting a new podcast called Disrupt. So, tell me a little bit about what Disrupt is and what you hope to accomplish.
2: Ooh, Disrupt mm-hmm. is a podcast to break down all the barriers and mishigas. We were mm-hmm. talking about Judaism earlier today, so I'm going to use some Yiddish. Yes. Uh, the mishigas that we all deal with, particularly in the nonprofit industrial complex as it relates to arts organizations.
1: Yeah, I think our our tagline is it doesn't have to be this hard. Right. And I think that's the thing we just wanna keep driving home. I think we can sometimes get lost in the jargon. We can get mm-hmm. lost in the, you have to have a master's or a PhD to be able to solve any of these problems. And we know that's not true. We know, young mm-hmm. people are solving these problems already uh, without our help um, or sometimes with our help. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how can we just like get on the the same page?
0: It's that that simple. (laughs) It doesn't have to be that
2: hard. Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about jargon for a second, right? I'm always fascinated the trajectory that some words take going Mm -hmm. from new invention that's heralded because it is the perfect word to describe a phenomena that we're witnessing To the point that it becomes annoying and something you have to include in every grant proposal and something that shows up in convenings and everyone sort of you know rolls their eyes so when words become jargon though (laughs) theoretically they have a purpose so let's like talk to me a little bit about why we actually need to unpack some of this to make it not so hard Right. What what is the value in spending time thinking about these big theoretical concepts and actually how we describe them or how we talk about them in our own work? What does that mean for uh, someone like a teaching artist or an artist who is working with communities for social change or maybe even an organizational executive director?
1: I love this uh, quote from Augusto It's I'm probably going to mess it up, but it's something like uh, words are like trucks. They carry the loads we put on them, right? Um, yeah. And I think people put different loads on different words and that's how words become jargon or they become barriers um, to accessing the actual work that's happening, right? Um, and I also think that we have a, a you know, Uh, challenge in the arts and the arts education world too, that we have different words to describe the same thing. And so Mm. often we think that we're doing different things when we are really actually doing the same, but um, we're speaking different languages when we do it, right? So Um, when we talk about creative capacities or studio habits of mind or the creative process and how it links to the scientific process, right? Um, We don't always call that arts integration, but it is, right? Mm -hmm. And Maybe that's just because somebody doesn't know the word arts integration, but they might have been practicing that in their life or in their classroom for 20 years right? Um, Mm -hmm. So is that really a new thing that like, you know, we're bringing in in some PD? Probably not. Like they've been doing it already, you know, in the same way that we tell young people, it's like, you already have the skills. We're just naming the vocabulary for you for with which to do it.
0: Right. So James, I'm going to hearken back to your bio here for a second. You've moved from being a a teaching artists in schools and community organizations to leading an arts-based organization to leading a non-arts organization. So in the way that yes. Halea was just describing the, the value of words and the capacity they have to carry uh, the load, right, the important work that we do, let's talk about translation for a second. <laughs> How do we go from sort of one sector to another <laughs> and why those those words you know, might matter for a practitioner in order to accomplish the things they want to do in a cross sector way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to what Halei was saying. It's that tier one messaging to make sure we're all on the same page. You know, when I, when I was working at this non-arts organization and they were talking about TAs, uh, we of course think of teaching artists. They were thinking of technical assistance. Uh, that's just one, one aspect going into a meeting. Talking about child welfare, and I'm not exaggerating. The meeting started with, like, okay, we're at DCYF, we're going to talk about the uh HUDs and the, the SELs, SC, but we want to make sure we include DEI. I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> like, can, can we break down those acronyms? Because when we start using acronyms instead of actual words, they're just taking up space, and we're not paying attention to what diversity equity and inclusion actually means it's more of like a something you throw into a, a, a grant right a grant proposal mm-hmm. and say look we're doing it but are you actually doing it same with SEL social emotional learning that's important to understand why you need to learn socially and emotionally together to really uh, matriculate through school and boost your academic and creative prowess they're aligned and they're the same in my mind but To L.A.'s point, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So let's put those words into action and stop beating around the bush with the multitudinous acronyms and jargon we have to digest on a daily basis. And having to
1: reinvent the wheel constantly, right? Yeah, right. You know, does a 30-year teaching veteran need to go to a CELL workshop? Like, probably not. If they're worth a damn, they've been doing it for Mm -hmm. 30 years. (laughs) They just never called it CELL before. They called it good teaching.
0: Yes. You know, and what's interesting about that is when we really distill things down into these acronyms, we stop thinking about what it actually means and perhaps Mm -hmm. begin a process of almost polarization. You're either in it or you're out. You either do it or you don't. You either are for it or you're against it, which brings us to one of the very first conversations you had with DISRUPT, which was about an acronym that is quite controversial these days, which is CRT or Critical Race Theory and the arts. So mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about the conversation that you all had in episode number one that uh, was had at South by Southwest EDU about CRT.
2: Ooh, well, doing South, South by Southwest, one, it's in Texas where critical race theory is banned. Uh, so to bring in a conversation about critical race theory at an educational conference in Texas, we thought we'd have a lot of pushback when in yeah. fact, People were just like, oh, that's what this is. It was invented years and years ago, decades ago. Kimberly Crenshaw is one of the foe mentors of critical race theory as a legal analysis of looking at certain uh, uh, decisions made by courts. They teach it in law school. They teach it in graduate school, maybe, but it's never taught in a K-12 setting. However, what is taught in a K-12 setting is understanding people's role in society, and that's what critical race theory is basically. Like if you are an adult, you have certain duties. If you're a child, you go to school. Um, if you're of this uh, demographic, these things happen historically to you or or for you. Uh, it's not about separating or dividing. It's like, all right, well, let's like analyze where we are in society. So we grow a more perfect union as in the constitution. Halei, what would you add to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the like where we ended that conversation, I feel like at South By too, there were several other sessions about critical race theory or mm-hmm. um um or critical rate. Uh yeah, sorry. I'm getting <laughs> there were several conversations about critical r- race theory at South by, but ultimately like the debate that's happening now isn't actually about the word anymore. It's about the acronym and the the loads that people have put on it and the, the yeah. complications that people have put on it. It's like not actually about the work anymore, right? So like when we led people through arts exercises and we were like, is this CRT or is this not CRT? You know, most people were just like, oh, this is just good teaching. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter right. that it's called one <laughs> thing or the other.
2: Yeah. And it was all invented by, you know, this new take on it, Christopher Rufo you know, from the uh, Manhattan Institute, started using critical race theory as something that he disagreed with. So if anything he disagreed with that was considered progressive or liberal, he would just call critical race theory, uh, drew up this a lot of ire among conservatives and even not so conservatives who didn't want to put people in boxes, but that's all his invention. Mm -hmm. It's nothing nothing like that's happening in any school and anywhere, and if it is, it's bad teaching. Mm. It's not critical race theory. Just bad teaching to say, oh, you're a black student. You belong over here. You're a white student. You belong over here. Don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't demean, diminish, or deride any young person based on anything ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Critical race theory doesn't do that. <laughs> and but Chris Rufo does. <laughs> you know, and uh, what I'm sort of hearing from this is that a thing that might be needed within the sectors in which we work be it cultural or education or social is a criticality to discern the different elements of our work right where any time that anything becomes oversimplified that's almost the enemy of the good here right because it it stops thinking about what is actually needed in a circumstance, you know, like when you've worked with one kid, you've worked with one kid. When you've worked with one community, you've worked with just one community that our desire to mechanize or simplify things can almost be the opposite of what we're trying to do. Right. So the fact that there's an understanding that things like critical race theory or name your other approach is good or bad it's it's frankly it's indifferent it's it's an approach it should be customized for any situation in which one is working and i think that the conversation that you had having the distinct privilege of listening to it already is um <laughs> you know one that's really important just about having a critical eye towards anything that we do and and being able to think about it and carve out the space to reflect and discern for what it means within your own work
1: Oh, but that's and that's how we disrupt systems and that's how we create change is by interrogating and looking at things through a critical eye. I mean, I think that conversation came up really clearly in our second episode too, when we interviewed um, James students at Seattle University in the arts leadership program, you know, because we really came in to a program that was teaching about nonprofit leadership, saying like, but but should nonprofits even exist? And right. like, the students <laughs> didn't want to answer that question at all, you know. Like, but that's what I'm getting my degree in. Like, you know, don't
2: tell me that I'm right.
1: interrogating the system and I'm in. But that's what we should be
2: doing. Yeah, we should be looking at all this. Like, why do why do nonprofits even exist? Mm-hmm. What is the role of government if we have nonprofits doing what government should be doing? And I mean something simple as bussing kids to school. Mm-hmm. Nonprofits control some of the transportation systems. Why? We should have school buses for kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They shouldn't all be privately run. I mean, is that that hard to think about?
0: <laughs> you know, that's actually a really interesting concept because that conversation and the documentation of that conversation by default also gives us, who are not students in an arts leadership program in a university setting, the perspective that we wouldn't have. So talk to me a little bit about the perspectives that you wish to bring in to Disrupt. One, of course, are the perspectives that you both bring as uh, teaching artists, organizational leaders, curriculum developers, professional development implementers, things Mm. like that, name your title. You both have many, many of them. But also (laughs) the perspectives of of young people and of others from around the world. I, I just wonder about... How we might, as listeners, to disrupt, leverage the unique perspectives that are being shared with us within our own formulation of the criticality that we bring to the listening.
2: You, 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 you talk, Kalea. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I was going to pass it to you. Um, no, you're
2: the smart one.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's COVID brain fog. <laughs> um, uh oh God, there's so many things I want to say here okay uh yeah. one is right that um young people are the ones who are going to create the jobs we don't even know exist yet right like we we don't know the systems that young people are going to be working in we don't know that the systems that we're teaching are you know students at Seattle University or at Highland College that like Um, we don't know that they're gonna exist in the same way. They've changed greatly even in the past two years because of the Mm -hmm. pandemic, right? So if we get so rigid um, in systems that like with our inability to look at things critically our inability to adapt, which we saw so much during COVID, right? um, Talk about a word that became jargon. If one more person said, we're gonna pivot, I was gonna like bring my- Lose
2: my mind, yo. (laughs)
1: You know? But, right, when we were really forced to adapt and change, so many industries were able to, and we saw, you know, much more uh, greater reach for um, arts audiences, for example, or we saw, you know, schools, we both live in the Seattle area, who are, you know, much further away from like the metropolis, where there are like major cultural institutions, being able to get field trips, you know, you could do a virtual field trip with Seattle Arts Museum, or the Fifth Avenue Theater, or Seattle Theater Group. These were not things that we had thought about before until we were sort of like forced to do it. But how how much uh, more fantastic and revolutionary like could all of our fields be if we were more willing to adapt in that way? And that I think, you know comes from listening to the next generation deeply and not um, being so, Rigid. I mean, you know, not to come back to Boal and Freire, but, you know, it comes back to a banking model of education, right? If we're so stuck in our ways that we can only teach the way that we came up, how are we ever going to progress?
2: Yeah. And Something that came out of uh, the COVID pandemic was a disruption of, as Halea said, the way things are normally doing uh, or have been going on for, you know, hundreds of years, and so many people had to shift the way they did teach, parents, collaborate, work together. But as soon as there was like an opportunity to be done with COVID, it went back to normal, quote unquote normal. Yeah. When in fact, that should be disrupted. If it wasn't working pre-COVID and we're going to do it again, why? Let's just ask that question, right? If we're still doing this this uh, putting kids in groups based on, how they performed on a test in a certain day in a certain year and a certain hour at a certain point in their lives and not based on what they, you know, their progress towards a certain academic or curricular goal. Are we doing them justice when the kids are saying, we don't want to learn this anymore. Yeah. We're learning something new on TikTok that's evidence-based and we're still saying, Nope, you got to do this are we really addressing the needs of youth? Are we really pushing education to the forefront of what it could be? Like over the past two years, we've fallen in our international uh, uh, rating in education by several points. We used to be like six in 1990. Mm -hmm. Now we're 37 in education worldwide. What happened in the past 30 years? Uh, The achievement gap's grown since 2019. How? (laughs) We've all experienced COVID together. How has it even gotten, gotten worse only for low-income and youth of color? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. That needs to be disrupted. That needs to be examined. That needs to be criti- criticalized or criticized what you said, Jeff. It needs to be criticized. So let's break it all down. It doesn't have to be this hard. <laughs> it's, it's
0: just, that's it. It doesn't have to be this hard. Agreed. Agreed. So, Starting with you, Halea, talk to me about your goals for Disrupt and really what you hope the conversations will be about and can bring to the audience. And then James, we'll go to you and maybe we'll see if there's some alignment or maybe a little bit of divergence. <laughs> I hope there is. <laughs>
1: ah, that'd be great. Ah, that's what <laughs> um. I hope so. Uh, um, you know, I think the thing, uh, that I, um, have worked so hard in creating, um, community for artists and for teaching artists and advocating for teaching artists, um, on a national global scale is really that it can feel like a siloed career. And I know that that is true for, um, education professionals. And I also know that that is true for nonprofits too. You get, um, you get into your, your little hole and it can feel very lonely, right? So um, I hope that people listen to Disrupt and like hear an idea from somebody else who, who might be doing the similar a similar thing um, in a different part of the country or a different part of the world or, um, you know, through a similar vein and get an idea from things, right? Um, I always talk about how as teaching artists, we We shop, right? It's like you go to someone else's class and you're like, that's a great idea. I'm gonna put that in my shopping basket. And how do I use that and reinvent that and put you know my unique twist on it? So um I hope it can be a place where people, you know, won't get um overwhelmed and won't get frustrated and sort of a place of despair where I feel like a lot of us were during COVID. Um, but feel rejuvenated and feel inspired um, and feel hopeful about um, a new idea and a breaking of a system.
2: Yeah, what you, I, I would, i say the same thing. I, I think the same thing, um, you know, showcasing a world where, it, it, I mean, I want to normalize humanity. I think that's what we, we want to do mm-hmm. and have conversations with people so they feel like they're not alone. They're not binary in terms of thinking. We're all in this together. We don't have to be yes or no. We don't have to agree all the time. We can disagree and still remain human beings towards one another. Uh, As as Halei said, we live in such silos. We don't need to. Like this American exceptionalism is only uh, further marginalizing each other, people from each, from different groups from from one another. We don't need to be exceptional. We can take a a key, oh, look what they're doing in in Nebraska. Oh, that's cool. Maybe we should adapt that here. Or look what they're doing in another neighborhood in Seattle. Why don't we collaborate with them instead of doing the same thing in our own invention with the same group of students and just call it something different? How about we just work together or learn from one another? Uh, How do we be in community together And not in, you know, in antagonistic ways.
0: And it's about building that community, right? The idea, Halea, what, what I was picking up from you is the generosity of both sharing and learning and adapting and creating things that approach our work in such a way that it is highly customizable, but also can be applied, you know, broadly and elevates those sort of universal learnings. And James, what you're saying is, you know, really building that community of practice. So I guess if I can just take a point of personal privilege, (laughs) I would love to see the Disrupt community be a community of practice and solicit those ideas and those inputs from listeners to help solve the challenges that you're disrupting so that it doesn't have to be so hard and that we can, you know, normalize humanity in such a way that we're all part of the ongoing dialogue. So I guess that's my hope for it (laughs) as we embark on this journey together.
2: That's great. Can we have that call to action to the listeners to send us, what do you want to disrupt? What's getting in the way of making you you feel successful or, or
0: belonging? Yes. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And we will include uh, an email address in order to send those ideas to within the show notes. So as we start to come to a little bit of a close here, James, you've been on the Why Change podcast before. So we've heard your stories uh, and your answers to the following questions. But Halea, you have not. You are a a newbie to this community. Uh So to explain a little bit about one of the traditions of why change is we really hope to learn from our peers that are being interviewed on the podcast about what keeps them going, what uh, gives them the, the gumption to do this often really hard work. So in just a few short answers, I would love you to respond to the following questions offered in rapid succession. Okay. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Hit me.
0: First, who inspires you?
1: James. What? I said the same thing.
0: <laughs> uh, what keeps you motivated?
1: Oh, God. Uh, the young people. Young people get me motivated. My students keep me motivated. I mean, um, that's that's why I do the work, because um, they continue to inspire me every day.
0: Where are you most grounded?
1: <laughs> Nowhere. Um <laughs> Uh, I used to answer this running, but I haven't been able to run or run because like of a back issue for a couple years. So i but I guess like being active in some way. so walking or uh, I've been swimming a lot, but um some sort of active um, endorphin. I was an athlete for a number of years.
0: How do you stay focused?
1: I don't anymore. Um, I have to put my phone on do not disturb and close all of the other windows. Um, I have this one spot in my apartment that is a chair in the corner that gets like really good afternoon light. And it is my favorite thing in the entire world to sit and read there in an afternoon with the sunlight coming in, not on a computer, like an actual book or magazine or something printed out perhaps. But um, that is my my absolute like favorite spot where I can sit and read for a sustained period of time like I somehow used to have the ability to do in grad school and have completely lost in this multitasking
0: world. <laughs> and lastly, why change? We have to,
1: well, we have to adapt, right? Um, there, there, is, uh, there is no other way forward. If we don't, then the planet is going to burn up and we're going to kill ourselves. So we, we have to and for the next generation. I mean, we just have
0: to. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. And I am so excited to see Disrupt, a podcast about ideas for the creative generation, really take off and form that community, solicit those great ideas, and break down the big concepts so that life doesn't have to be so hard. Thank you all very much for being here and we will see you on Disrupt. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. This episode was produced by me, Jeff M. Poulin. Artwork by Bridget Woodbury. Our digital media producer is Daniel Stanley. This podcast theme music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.